today I'm going to focus uh, my sermon around um, the annual meeting theme. So this will shorten my annual meeting report because I'm going to do some of it right here. So, and, it, and I planned that before I knew about pulled pork. So just, yeah, we don't have to make conclusions. So the annual celebration sermon, and I'm going to focus on a culture of Christ. A culture of Christ. So what, what is culture? You know, what is culture? What, is, what does that mean? And so there's lots of definitions. Uh, here's one that I liked. It's a little long, but I thought it covered the, the pieces of it. A culture, it's a way of life of a group of people. The behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them. Culture is not something you think about. It's just something that you habitually do. And there are the behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that are passed along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. So that's what culture is. It's behaviors, beliefs, values, symbols. It's, it's all together. So, you know, it, that can be a lot of things. Your, your house has a culture, right? Your, your household has a culture. Whether it's just you or a, a bigger family, you have a culture, right? We have a culture of ice cream on Friday and Saturday nights at your house. Anybody else have a similar culture? We don't need ice cream every night uh, as much as I might want to, uh, but that's a culture we have. Right now, they've had Edeline on sale at Winco, so it's been about Edeline. Uh, and they're 1.75 ounce or a, a gallon instead of the 1.5 gallon. So you're getting a little more for the bang for your buck there. Anyways, your house is a culture. You're, you know, we have a culture of work at our house. So everybody has chores, right? My kids don't have staff that wait on them. They're members of the household that participate. So we value chores and we value work and we value them earning money and they have to pay for certain things and buy things. That's part of the culture, but the beliefs, the values that we have. And so you can go on and on. And culture isn't so much what you hope things might be. It's what, what things are. It's the way things are. It's the way that you do things. So your house has a culture. It's the things that you do over and over again. And you do them because they're important to you. They're valuable to you. They're meaningful. They're things that that you think are worth repeating and doing. And so we wanted to talk about the culture of a church. What do we do over and over again? What's valuable? What has meaning? And so this is a Pastor Mark phrase. I don't know where he got it, but I've heard him say it enough times that I'm putting it on here. He says, culture eats vision for breakfast. You can ask him where he got that. I don't know. But the idea is, a lot of times when you're talking about organizations and shaping an organization and leading an organization, the conversation is about vision. What are you looking for in the future that will shape what you're going to do? And and it's good to have vision. I'm not saying we don't. You're looking out in three years, we want this. In five years, in ten years, I see that. And so many will say, well, vision will drive your organization. But they're discovering that no... The culture of your organization drives it. The culture of your church, the beliefs, the values, the symbols, the things that you do over and over, that's what you're going to keep doing. And so what is a culture? And can you change a culture? And you can. You can slowly. But we want our church to have a Christ-shaped culture. That our beliefs, our values, our opinions, our practices are rooted in and shaped in Christ, both now and going forward. And so I'm going to just talk about three of those today. 
making and, and keeping this church a Christ-shaped culture. That's what's important to us more than vision is, is who we are. And so I want to root this in, well, why would we pick that? Just a reminder to make sure we know and are clear. Well, who is Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? This is from Colossians 1, 13 through 20. And it just talks about just who this person is that is going to shape the culture. And we want to shape the culture of our church. He, this is talking about Jesus Christ. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Wow. Any one of these sentences in this, you could just stop and ponder on. He delivered you from the domain of darkness and transfers you to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's amazing. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus made everything. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, that's why we got to pray. He's holding it all together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is our head. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's really all about Jesus. He's made it all. It's all for him. He saved it all. He's at the top of it all. He's preeminent, Jesus Christ. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And can, what more can be said about Jesus in that paragraph, right? It's all for him. It's all to him. Everything is going to him. It's all been redeemed by the cross. He's the fullness of deity. So we want him to shape the culture and the thinking of everything we do here. So we want a Christ-shaped culture. So I'm going to just do three things. There's more to it, but I'll do three things today. First, we want a Christ-shaped culture of dependence on God. That everything we do will be dependent on God's leading and guiding, his direction, his path for us. We want to be totally dependent on God because Jesus was totally dependent on God. Sometimes there's verses and passages in, my Bi- in the Bible that just amaze me that Jesus said them. It's hard to get my mind around. There's a couple here from John that talk about this. In John 5, 18, Jesus has just done a miracle of healing on the Sabbath, so they're all mad and want to kill him. But I just want you to listen to what he says after he does this in John 5, 18. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they said, well, that's, he can't be that. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. When you watch Jesus go around, it just seemed like he did whatever he was thinking, right? He said whatever he was going to say. He healed people. But he says, no, no, no. I'm not just this loose cannon down here healing people that don't know what's coming. I'm doing exactly what I see God the father doing. He says, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Only doing what he's doing. He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, 
And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. This, so that's in John 5, uh, 18 through 20. It just amazes me. He says, no, 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 I'm not a loose free agent here. I'm only exclusively doing what I see God do. I'm only doing what the Father shows me to do. That's it. Completely dependent on the Father's lead. And then he says it again in John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, which in John means lifted him up to the cross, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wouldn't you love to be able to write that of yourself? I, I, I can't. I can't say I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I often do all the things that are pleasing to Ryan, which are not always the same things as the things that are pleasing to God. But that's what Jesus said. I always do it. I'm dependent on the Father for his leading. He tells me what to say. He tells me what to do. I only act in complete unison with him, and I only do what pleases him. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so if we want a culture of Christ, we want to say, I only do the things that are pleasing to Christ. I only do what he wants. And so this passage, I shared this the other week. We had, uh, had some elders and wives over. And I've, I've shared this passage before. This is one of the most important passages to me as a pastor. It's in Jeremiah. It, it, it shapes my prayer life. It shapes the way I think. It shapes the way I, I want us to operate. It shapes the way we do elder meetings. And it comes from this passage in Jeremiah talking about true and false prophets. So in Jeremiah twenty three sixteen, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. See, this time there's a whole group of people who were in this you know, commission or job of the prophets, people speaking for God. And God said, yeah, don't listen to those guys. They're just telling you what they think. They're false prophets. He says, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. See, Jeremiah was walking around saying, this whole place is going down because you're rebellious idol worshipers. And the other prophets were like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to Jeremiah. It's all well. Everything is good. Everything's going to work out. And God's saying, yeah, don't listen to them. Here's the key verse. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? to see and to hear his word. Who has paid attention to his word and listened? I think that's who you need to listen to. This idea to stand in the counsel of the Lord. It means to be in a familiar conversation. To be in an inner circle. It means like, or like a leadership assembly. I, you know, sometimes you might think an organization is doing this and that, but maybe you weren't in on those meetings. Maybe you didn't know what they talked about, so you don't really know. And he's saying, that's the idea with God. Have you spent that time with God to see, to hear his word, to listen to him in an inner, a familiar conversation? And it's not just a business context. The same word about standing in the council is over in Psalm twenty-five, fourteen. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. The friendship that you would pr- privately personally talk to God 
The best way we do it is with this open, right? Because God has already spoken through his word. So we want the word open through prayer. And he he says, that's what I'm looking for. He goes on, verse 21, 22. He says, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to the people. So they didn't talk to me first. They didn't check with me first. They didn't listen to me first. They just went and said what they wanted to happen. So they would have proclaimed my words and his words. They would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. See, God's words change hearts and bring repentance. So the key for being dependent on God like Christ is to be in God's counsel, to seek him first, to listen to him. So sermon prep is not so much well, what did this passage mean, and what do those words mean, and what does the context mean? Before it is, God, tell me what you want. Tell us what you want. That's what it means to be dependent on God. This is how we start elders' meetings. We open the scripture, and we pray. Not a quick God bless our meeting, move on. It might take 20 minutes sometimes. It might take 30 minutes sometimes. Because we want to hear from God. We want him to direct us. Our hope is that every meeting, every group, every teacher is preparing themselves by first coming into God's presence, listening to his voice, looking in the word. That's why we're committed to scripture-fed prayer, that we would open the passage and go, okay, let's actually just pray back what we've just read. Many Sunday mornings, I pray that passage in Jeremiah. I want to be in your counsel I don't want to speak my words. I want to speak your words. Your words do something. My words don't do very much. So that's, that's part of us having this culture of dependence on God. Would you lead us? Would you show us? We don't want to be anything other than what he's calling this church to be. So I'm hoping that it is our culture and will become more and more that everyone says, well, we better pray about that. We better ask God about that. We better look for that in his word first before we start any new idea, any new plan. Is this God's will? It's exactly what Jesus did. I only do what I see the Father doing. So that's the first one. The second one is a culture of making disciples. And so I want to show us first how that's modeled in Christ. There's this time when Jesus in John 4, uh, he comes to this town with his disciples, and they're all hungry, of course. And uh, they say, you know, we're going to go into town, see what's open, uh, see if Chick-fil-A is pumping out the chicken we're in. So Jesus stays, and they all go to town. And... um, and the scene picks up in John 4. Jesus, then there's, he meets this woman there, this Samaritan woman. And he has this conversation with her. And he eventually reveals that he's the Messiah to her. And so we're just picking up the end of the story in John 4. It says, just then his disciples came back. So they missed the whole conversation. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Right? So she goes to the town. The whole town's like, well, we better go check it out. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Right? They went and got lunch. They brought it back. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Like, who fed him? We were starving. Who gave him food? Does he have food? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, that's actually my food. This actually fuels me. I don't need breakfast. He said, I don't need lunch. I want to do what God wants. And what's, what's happening in this moment? He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This whole town of Samaritans, who they didn't think were even worthy of receiving God, was coming out to meet him. He says, this is my food. Doing my mission, spreading the gospel, bringing in the harvest, bringing in the representative from every nation, the blessing of Abraham. He says, this is actually my food. This is what I eat. This is what fuels me. This is what he told us to do. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So that's what he told us to do. And uh, one thing I thought that this would be really neat to follow up. I've been sitting on this for a few weeks. Not this last Christmas, 2022, but Christmas 2021, we did a campaign drive to raise money for the Timothy Initiative because they were trying to plant churches in every village in India that's never had a church. It was a church in every village. And so and it, at the time, it was 300 bucks to plant one church. It's gone up to 400. They have inflation too. But uh, I just forget how many we ended up with. It was over 40. Honestly, we ended up enough for 45. Does anybody remember that? I should have looked that up. It was a lot. Our goal was 20. We more than doubled our goal. I forget the final number. But David Nelms, the president of Timothy Initiative, sent me this video about a month ago of the Timothy Initiative and what's been happening in the year. And I said, can I show this to my church? Because sometimes you can't show their videos because they're in hostile areas. And he said, yeah, this is some of your fruit. This is some of those churches. Not all of them. Some of this is in Africa. I think a lot of ours went to India. But he's saying, this is the sum of the things that are happening because you gave. And so I wanted us to see this video. And uh, this is just what's happening as a result of your generosity and giving so the gospel can spread.
Mm, is that good? We got to clap for that. That's what, that's what we're a part of, right? <laughs> Making disciples abroad, being generous, seeing it spread, but then also here. It's also here. We want to be a part of it here. We want to be a part of seeing kids come to Christ. And it's happening not just around the world, but it's happening here. A month or two ago, I, uh, I asked Steve if he would talk to the kids now in middle school to talk about their experience in Awana and just to get right how it went, just to see what's happening here. And so here's some of the, these, so these are current middle schoolers in our church now who are in our Awana uh, before. And our Awana is our kids club, age K to fifth grade. Or actually, no, we have preschoolers too. We got the cubbies there. So this is every Tuesday night. And uh, this one says, one of my favorite things about Awana was when I got to memorize the Bible verses, and when I really needed comfort, I would remember those verses, and it would help me have a better day. Awana also helped me teach others about God, and I'm not just saying that, I actually did. It says, I have a friend who wanted to know about God, and I read some of the verses I learned, and now she goes to a church with her family. That's right, I'm right here. This one has a picture, and it says, okay, the drawing is really bad. But they do craft, sing, and learn about the Lord, but they need leaders to help them. So, hey, just putting a plea out. Thank you. This one, a middle school boy, said it was a great place for me. It was a place where I could run around and play with others that also knew Jesus with most of my friends at church. It always felt like a safe place to just let me be me. This is from a seventh grade girl. Says, Awana is important to me because it was really cool to know that I was learning verses that would help explaining to others about Jesus. I love the games and the talk about the beginning, what we were learning. The leaders were awesome, being there for me when I struggled. I may have started Awana at this church in second grade, but it definitely was one of the best experiences in my life. This one says, um, I always looked forward to Awana nights. The games were always fun. But the thing I remember most were the leaders who dedicated their nights to helping us memorize verses and learn about God. This one said, Awana was special to me because it was a time to hang out with friends, learning about God, and Ryan always made the game super fun. This one has, for the, you don't see this very often, I watched Cursive. That's pretty good. Cursive's a dying art. So... Awana was my favorite night of the week. It was a place where I could go and make friends and have fun. It helped give me a foundation for my faith and get closer to God. I was part of the Awana ministry, and it was one of my favorite parts of the week, and I looked forward to it each week. I grew closer to God in all six years I did it. One of my favorite things to do at Awana was memorizing important Bible verses that I could use throughout my life. I also was so blessed to have amazing leaders. I could connect with friends and be a part of a fun, safe environment to just be me. This last, I think this is the last one here. It says, Awana was special to me because of how they made learning the Bible fun, especially for a kid with a short attention span. That's most kids. But, uh, but that's just, we're doing making disciples and make disciples right here. We want to see it grow. One of the things that's amazing about our church is we love to welcome in anyone who's hurting, who's struggling, who's got some struggles, some problems, whatever they are, and say, hey, this is a place for you. Part of that culture is we just love 
people. This is the culture of Christ that feeds us. We want to be a part uh, of a church, a culture that we just believe in making disciples, investing in others, reaching out for Christ, taking care of our kids, reaching more, reaching people around us. All right, one final one, and then we'll wrap it up. A Christ-shaped culture of generosity. A Christ-shaped culture where we just give. Philippians 2, it describes Jesus. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. If that just phrase right there, emptied himself. He gave everything that he could give. He emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave everything that he could give to us. And so that permeates our culture of generosity. One of our elders, John, showed this slide a few weeks ago. The extra giving in 2022 was amazing. Right? These are the things that we gave $10,000 just to make sure our youth get to camp. By the way, they have one next weekend. They have their first winter camp. Be praying. We got some excited high schoolers. Be praying for God to move at winter camp next weekend. They'll be down on Whidbey Island. We gave an extra. When we write here missions, this is people that just write on a check, give this to missions, and it just goes in. This is outside of the giving. We already gave $50,000 away as a church to missions. This is on top. There was more that came in just for the Timothy Initiative. We already talked about the Lighthouse Bills, 50000 came in. The Benevolent Fund, people just said, give this to anyone who's struggling. Here it is. He just gave. But it's, it's also a generosity we're beginning to have with our building. We want to share this space and be generous so more ministry can happen. It was one of the things, as the elders met, we evaluated and said, this building sits empty for hours and hours each week. What else could God do? And so currently, right now, uh, Love, Inc., Love in the Name of the Christ, a local ministry, uh, is doing some of their uh, staff and board meetings here. We hosted the Community Toy Store here. That was in December. There's another church called The Table, and they are meeting Mondays, and they are focusing on Alderwood Elementary School and they make a meal. And so they don't have a commercial kitchen. Our kitchen is set up in a commercial kitchen way that meets all the health department's requirements. So they come here every other Monday, and they make a meal in the kitchen, and then they bring it over to their church to serve it. And somehow Mark became friends with one of the ladies, and she gave him some food. She hasn't given me any food, so apparently I need to be nicer to the table people. Um, We've had a great connection with Resonate Church. They just started this last Monday. Every, Monday, or every other Monday, Pastor James is doing a, an apologetics class in the fireside room. And he says, it's open to anyone here. So if you want to jump in and talk about why we believe what we believe and how we answer the questions of the day, they're meeting Monday, every other Monday in the fireside room at 7 o'clock. And so there's more coming uh, that we want to just be open. How, what other things can God do with this space? We want to be generous with it. We want to be generous with our words, that we just affirm and communicate. Uh, take the time to write that note. Write that card. Lift that person up. We're generous with our time. How many of these Awana ones said, thank you to those leaders who came out every Tuesday? we got leaders here every Tuesday in Awana and middle school and Wednesday night. 
with high school and Sunday morning teaching and serving on stage and serving. Pastor Mark started a new Monday group with guys and, and gals are welcome who want to take care of this building. We just give of our time. We want to see God move. And so that's a Christ-shaped culture of generosity. We want a Christ-shaped culture of everything we do. So let me just re, reread that definition the culture is a way of life of a group of people. We wanted to say a way of life of this church. The behaviors, the beliefs, the values and symbols of Christ. That we accept generally without thinking about them. We just do it. And that we're passed along by communication and by imitation. From one generation to the next. That's the heartbeat of our church. That's what we want it to be. I believe it is in many ways. But that's, that's what's driving us. Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know there's many other things we could highlight today, but I'm very thankful for this church. Give us an ever-increasing dependence on you as individuals and as a collective body. Lord, we depend on every word from your scriptures, every direction of your Holy Spirit. Would you lead us? Lord, would we continue to be about the business of making disciples, people who follow you in this church, around the world? Would we continue to be generous with our time, our treasure, this space, our words, our finances? Lord, it's just been on display this year that people have opened their hearts to give for your kingdom. Let it grow more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.